Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Parenting Yourself First. Jesus offers us a better way of parenting that doesn't leave us filled with shame and regret. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be gathered with you here today. You have a little bit better weather than that 9 a.m. crowd when it was 45 degrees and rainy. What a difference a day makes in central Illinois. I want to invite you right away. We're going to get in our Bibles. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy can be found towards the front of your Bible. It is the fifth book of the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 can be found on page 145 of those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. We are all about learning how to live the way of Jesus here, and we only learn how to live the way of Jesus from the word of Jesus. And so please take a Bible home with you. We'll get to Deuteronomy in just a minute. Before having kids, Sarah and I had taken all of the classes We had read the best pre-parenting books. We'd prayed for this new life every day. We were ready, and in my mind, I had this parenting thing nailed, and I hadn't even begun. And in a laughable moment when we discovered Sarah was pregnant for our second son, I thought, surely I knew what I was doing as the old song goes, help me out here, second verse, same as the first. And I was completely wrong, and as... We stood on the doorstep of an orphanage in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and were handed our third son. It became abundantly clear that each child is different. And I was convinced that since my children were all different, I needed to have different parenting strategies to be a successful dad. And I thought, if I could just get these strategies right, then my children would always respect me, always obey me, always agree with me, and always love me. So entering parenting with those realistic expectations, I have wrestled with this phrase. This is not how I thought things would be. This is not how I thought my children would act. This is not how I thought they would treat their mother and me. This is not the decision I thought they would make. This is not how I thought I would react. This is not how I thought things would be. And as the years went by, rather than becoming more like Jesus in my parenting or let Jesus sanctify me and shape me through my parenting, I tried to use the levers of fear and guilt and shame to manipulate behavior so that my kids would obey me. I tried everything to get my kids to do what I wanted them to do because if I could get my kids to do what I wanted them to do, then I would look and feel successful as a parent. My measurement of success as a parent was based on whether my kids behaved and obeyed. And when those tactics didn't work, I took the phrase, this is not how I thought things would be, and I turned it into the shame phrase, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And it led to guilt and self-hatred and regret. Have any of you experienced what I'm talking about? Yeah. About seven or eight years ago, I got to this place where I did not want to live like that anymore. And I began asking God to change my parenting. And in the midst of that time, one of the major discoveries I made, if you're following in your notes, is that parenting is all about the parent. Parenting has very little to do with our children. It sounds like I'm kidding when I say that. 
Oh, I worked hard on that. It sounds like I'm kidding. Did you get that? I'm kidding, right? Parenting is all about the parent. Thank you, somebody. Parenting is all about the parent. In any relationship, we're gonna talk about parenting today, but we're gonna go beyond that. In any relationship, we can only control ourselves. And when we make parenting all about our kids, then our goals and measurements of success are all about our kids too. And we begin to base our identities on how our kids are behaving and obeying and what they accomplish. Pastor Paul Tripp has this great quote. He says, if you are not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for your identity in your children. And our children are dangerous places to stake our identity. Other people, go beyond parenting, other people are dangerous places to base our identity. I mean, think about this, parents in the room. When we allow our kids to determine our emotions and how we feel and we think, and we've all done this, when we do that, we're allowing a two-foot-tall human being who sticks their feet in their mouth and loves to run around the house naked influence us. We say it out loud, it's a little silly. Their favorite words are no and mine. And it doesn't end when they're toddlers. We are just like hardwired to find our identity in places outside of Christ. Whether it's our spouses or our friends, our coworkers, our colleagues. Finding our identity in others leads to two things, either unfounded pride or disappointment. And one of the reasons we've been conditioned to find our identity in our kids is because as followers of Jesus, many of us go to Christian parenting books and many of those books are all about how to get your kids to do what you want them to do. In many of the books I've read, there's a consistent principle that's taught, but this principle seems to be inconsistent with the way of Jesus. It's a myth. And the myth is, if you're following in your notes, if you do this thing, and you can insert whatever that thing is. If you do this thing, you'll get a positive result. That's just not true. At least in my experience, in my parenting or any other area of life, including our faith, if I do this for you, God, you do this for me. It just doesn't work like that. There's no formulas. And as a follower of Jesus, just as important and perhaps more important than what we do is the way in which we do it. So it led me to a second discovery. If you're following in your notes, we can do the right thing in the wrong way and it becomes the wrong thing. Does that make sense? We can do the right thing in the wrong way and it becomes the wrong thing. We can read the words of Jesus and we can do some of the works of Jesus. And if we do it in an attitude that is aggressive and harsh or condemning, it's the wrong thing. We have to do things in the way of Jesus, the way in which we parent matters. And when we do things in the wrong way, it leads our kids to being exasperated. And it leads to us beating ourselves up even if we get the behavior we desired. There's a better way. There's a better way. And that's what we're gonna spend the next four weeks talking about in a series called Parent Yourself First. If you've ever found yourself tired of parenting, and I, as an aside, when people ask me, hey, Brian, are you tired? My standard response is I've been tired for 17 years. Parenting is tiring. 
If you've ever been tired of parenting, you're burned out by strategies that didn't accomplish what you thought they would. And you're continually filled with feelings of failure as a parent. Jesus invites us into a better way. If you're following in your notes, Jesus offers a better way of parenting that doesn't leave us filled with shame and regret. I actually wrote a book that this series is based off of. I started this six years ago and it's a lot of the journey that I've been on. And I will say this as I stand here and teach you, I am not an expert in this. I mess up every single day. I don't feel like I'm an expert in parenting, but I do pray that I can share with you some of what God has taught me and we can become a people who look and act like Jesus in every area of our lives. And let me say this too. This is a parenting series. We're gonna be talking to parents and we'll be using parenting examples. But if you listen carefully, this is an apprenticing Jesus series. One of my favorite quotes was given by a man named Dallas Willard. He said this, you can read it on the screen. He says, as an apprentice of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live life in the kingdom of God. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I am not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So if you're a parent here and we've been seeing more parents join us, I'm excited to share this with you. Maybe you have grown kids. You're a grandparent. You never stop being a parent and grandparents have tremendous influence. If you don't have kids, but one day you hope to, I wish I would have known this 15 years ago. If you're single, we need you in the church. We need you. You are valuable and important. And I believe many of the scriptures we're gonna talk about today and the principles we're gonna talk about, you can apply to any of the relationships in your lives. Students, young people in the room, can I let you in on a secret? Us adults like the verses in the Bible that teach you how to behave. And we don't like the verses that teach us how to behave. So you can listen in. And these are the, what we're gonna talk about, you can apply to your relationships as well, but you can have a conversation with your parents about what you hear and how your family is interacting in the way of Jesus. My prayer is wherever you find yourself today, you'll be able to make applications to live the way of Jesus in your relationships. Okay, Deuteronomy. Imagine the context of what we're about to read together. Moses is the great leader of God's people. He's about to die. He's led nearly a million people wandering around a desert for 40 years. They are now poised to enter the promised land, the land God promised to give his people a thousand years earlier. They're about to move to a new land where everything's gonna be different. Everything's foreign to them. And Moses gives this instruction. Would you read this with me in the first gray box on your notes? It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Moses is addressing the people for the last time. And he says, the most important thing, like the one thing as you go into this new land is to love God with all your heart 
and all your soul and all your strength. Take care of your relationship with God first. And it's interesting The home is the discipleship strategy that God shows and why from the very beginning, fathers and mothers are central to the spiritual formation of children. By the way, in Deuteronomy 4, 9, if you go on, grandparents are instructed in the same way. So grandparents don't discount your influence. So this famous passage goes on to talk about passing our faith on to the next generation But before the scripture ever talks about passing our faith on, it commands us to live our faith out. From early in the story of the Bible, God is clear, if you're following in your notes, we need to lead by example. We need to lead by example. We need to parent ourselves first. Parents are the primary disciple makers in their kids' lives. So if my kid doesn't see me spending time in God's word, they probably won't. If they hear me use inappropriate language, they'll probably follow suit. If they let me see me scream at their mother and treat her with contempt, they will probably disrespect her and their future spouse as well. If they watch me prioritize club sports over gathering on Sundays, they will probably grow up to believe that sports are more important than gathering on Sundays. If my kids never see me trust God during difficult times or praying to ask God for guidance or thank him except before dinner or bed, why would I expect them to grow up and do anything different? I think this is why statistics are showing us that eight in 10 kids raised in the church are leaving the church. Because if our walk doesn't match our talk, it's very confusing and it's very damaging to our relationship with our kids and our kids' relationship to God. Right, We can try to teach our kids to do as we say, not do as we do, but our words can only go so far when they're contradicted by our actions. I've told this story before. When our youngest was two years old, we were sitting in our car waiting for Sarah to come out of the house. I've gone on to believe, I've come to believe that moms are invaluable in this. When you're getting ready to leave for a trip, They make sure you have sunglasses and sunscreen and backpacks and food and tickets. They save us hours and hours of wasted time backtracking to get what we forgot. So on this particular occasion, our two-year-old and I were sitting in the car. He's strapped in right behind me. We're waiting for Sarah to come out to the car. And from the seat directly behind me, I hear this tiny two-year-old voice say, come on, Sarah. And I thought to myself, my first thought was, I wonder where he heard that. (laughs) And I was convicted right there, right? I could have taught him to be patient and respect his mom, but my words only go so far when he's heard me say the same thing. Our actions outweigh our words. The way in which we parent and relate to others matters. Parents, please hear me say this. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about not being allowed a bad decision, a challenging day, a mistake-filled week. For the record, let me say this. I think some of the best teaching moments in all of parenting, and I would say some of the most significant moments in relationships are when we mess up and we have to go back and ask for forgiveness from God and from the one we hurt. It's significant when we do that. 
To quote Pastor Reggie Joyner, you can see this on the screen. He says, too many of us buy into the myth that we need to become the right kind of parent before God can use us. In reality, God is longing to tell his story through our imperfections and brokenness. Because here's the truth. God only tells his story through imperfect and broken people. Like our kids need to see our brokenness and authenticity and vulnerability and confession and repentance. What our kids don't need is to see the illusion of a perfect parent trying to hold it all together. They need to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. The freeing truth that I've discovered is that the most important strategy in parenting is becoming more like Jesus in my own life. If you're following in your notes, the most important thing parents can do for their kids is to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live the way of Jesus. And that's true in any relationship. Take it beyond parenting, marriage, friendship. The most important thing we can do as followers of Jesus is become more like him. And so every child's different. You need to parent them uniquely, but rather than having different strategies and skills to parent each child, we need one parenting strategy, abiding with Jesus so we can become more like him. And that's because authentic encounters with Jesus impact everything. They impact how we react or respond to people. It impacts how we think. It impacts the words we use. It impacts the discipline that we practice. It impacts whether we admit our failures and go back and ask for forgiveness. Spending time with Jesus doesn't fix everything, but it changes us. It brings about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives in greater measure. And there is a freedom when we parent this way and when we parent ourselves first. When we parent ourselves first, we can define our one parenting strategy as becoming more like Jesus and it redefines our goals in parenting. We probably all have goals in parenting. And what I'm gonna talk about has shifted my perspective on parenting and redefined success in parenting. And this is one of those places. If you don't have children, this can be applied to any relationship in your life, the goals and desires that we have, because I think we frequently mistake and confuse goals and desires. In Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over the Darkness, he distinguishes between goals and desires. Anderson states, you can see this on the screen, a goal is any specific orientation that reflects God's purpose for your life and is not dependent on people or circumstances beyond your ability or right to control. So to go to your notes real quick, to summarize that, a goal is not dependent on people or circumstances beyond our control. In other words, we can have goals for ourselves but not for other people because we can't control other people. Does that make sense? He goes on to contrast how a desire differs from a goal when he writes this. You can see this on the screen. He says, a godly desire is any specific result that depends on the cooperation of other people. If you jump back to your notes to summarize that, a desire depends on the cooperation of other people and circumstances, and we cannot control its fulfillment. So let's bring this together, right? What this means is we can have desires for our children or other people in any relationship, 
who they will become when they grow up, what college or vocational school they might attend, who they'll marry, decisions they'll make about friends, money, and following Jesus. We can have all those desires. But what frequently happens is parents turn their desires for their kids into goals. And when parents create goals for their children to live up to, the result is anger, frustration, anxiety, and depression because we can't control our children and the outcome. Right? I found in my life, in parenting, when I'm angry or depressed, I have frequently turned a desire into a goal. And I'm trying to control somebody else. And when we impose our desires as goals on our children, we're going to be frustrated, and I guarantee our kids will be frustrated and exasperated. If you find yourself frustrated in parenting, getting angry, depressed, maybe you have confused goals and desires. And getting this right, getting this right, either tempers or magnifies one of the greatest tensions in all of parenting. We are placed in authority over our kids. And in reality, we can't control them. Jeff is gonna talk about that more in the fourth week of the series, right? You may not agree with that. You may not agree with what you just heard, but if you have a two-year-old and you can pick them up right now and put them in a car seat, you can make them do whatever you want them to do. But once you have a teenager or a 17-year-old or a grown child the best you have is influence. You do not control them. And any control we think we once had is an illusion. We have influence, not control. And if we get that wrong, it's gonna lead to some bad outcomes. So if a a goal is dependent on us and no one else, then the goal of parenting must be something solely that the parent is in control of. And as followers of Jesus, I wanna know what the Bible says says about parenting. But frustratingly enough, the Bible only has a few verses about parenting. But one of them, I believe, lays out a clear goal. The Apostle Paul gives us a godly goal for parenting in Ephesians chapter chapter six, verse four. Would you read this in the second gray box with me? It says, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's it. This is a godly goal that reflects God's purposes for our lives and is not dependent on people or circumstances beyond our ability to control. Notice, this verse is all about parents, not kids. I am responsible for bringing my kids up in a certain way. If you're following in your notes, we are not responsible for the outcome, just the process because the process is the only thing we can control. And what this means, any desire we have for our kids, and we want our kids to be wise, to be caring, or to be a good athlete, to get into a good school. And as followers of Jesus, let me add, our greatest desire is that our kids would make decisions to follow Jesus all the days of their life. Those can't be our goals for parenting because we can't control them. And if we want to make those our goals, you can go ahead and do it. It's not going to go well because we're going to be disappointed, frustrated, depressed, angry, and most likely feel like we failed. And we'll hurt our relationship with our kids because of what we're imposing on them. 
Our goal as parents is to bring our children up in the instruction of the Lord. So here's what goals can include. They include how we grow in our relationship with Jesus, how we abide with him. A goal can be having intentional spiritual conversations with our kids or doing a Bible study together, reading a book together. Praying for our kids is a goal. We can control that. Spending time together as a family, practicing Sabbath, we can control all of those things. And again, take it beyond parenting. That is true in any relationship. Those are the things we can control. But I will say this, our goals, the things we can control, go a long way in seeing the desires for our kids realized. It doesn't ensure them, but it goes a long way. Do you see the importance of recognizing the difference between a goal and desire? And let me point this out. This is good news for us. This is good news. If we were responsible for all the decisions our kids make, or all the decisions our friends make, or all the decisions our family members make, that is a burden we cannot bear. We're responsible for bringing our children up and then being desperately dependent on God to do what only he can do in our kids' lives. But that's not how many of us live. And it's not how I live most of the time. I want to control things. And I live with this false sense that I can control things. But if we can see goals this way, if we can begin to understand that we are only responsible for ourselves, then it redefines what it means to be successful parents. For years, I thought success as a parent equaled my child doing what I asked them to do, behavior modification. But if the goal of parenting is shifted to being all about the parent, then the measurement of success as a parent must be about the parent as well. It's not just asking my kids to do something and they obey. If I don't ask them in the way of Jesus, then it's not success. Let me say this, friends. This is for all areas of life. As followers of Jesus, the ends don't justify the means. The way we live matters. The way we parent matters. If we don't parent in the way of Jesus, then it's not success. And so to that end, if you're following in your notes, success as a parent means parenting my child the way Jesus parents me. The way Jesus parents me. And I will say, let's just be real clear here. Jesus never had children. He was single. He was celibate. And we have no direct examples in scripture of Jesus parenting children. However, he is the model parent for all people. Scripture affirms that all the fullness of God was revealed in Jesus. And if God is the perfect father, and if we want to know how God parents his children, we look to Jesus and see how he related with people. I'd rather look at Jesus as an example of parenting than er any earthly example we've been given. Right? I've heard some sermons, and I've even uttered the words myself, we need to parent biblically. Well, when we take a look at what parents did in the Bible, we see some pretty bad examples. Noah had a drinking problem. Abraham offered his wife to another man twice. 
Rebekah schemed with her son to deceive her husband Isaac. Jacob had a son he openly preferred. Eli didn't bother to address his boy's bad behavior, and he lost total control of how they acted. David never corrected his kids, and a son started a rebellion. And Mary and Joseph lost their son Jesus in Jerusalem for three days. If that happened today, DCFS would be involved. We can look to one parent in the Bible who is worth spending time learning from, and it's Jesus. Scripture makes it clear. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, you can see this on the screen. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're his children. He's our good father. And there are many examples in the Bible of Jesus relating with his children. He related with people in a specific way, and it's his way that we want to learn. And that's what we're gonna talk about in depth next week, the way of Jesus and what success as a parent looks like. But for today, we wanna end by taking an inventory. There's one question at the end of your notes. We just need to ask ourselves this. Am I parenting myself first? With your kids, in any relationship you might be in, in your marriage, are you taking responsibility for you? Because you're the only one you can control. Am I parenting myself first? You might ask this question, how am I doing abiding in Jesus? Am I spending enough time with him that he's shaping me and changing me and that I can tell there's a difference in my life and others can tell there's a difference in my life because I've spent time with Jesus. So we wanna give you just a moment to self-assess, maybe confess what you want to do and need to do and the changes that you need to make, that you just need to open God's word more often. You need to put it in your calendar. You need to schedule time with him to let him influence you and change you. So I wanna give you a moment that you can talk to God and you can answer the question, am I parenting myself first? Whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're not yet a follower, if you are tired and you've been trying all of these strategies you can think of and things still aren't going the way you want, I wanna read these words of Jesus over you today. 
follower of Jesus, you can experience this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you can hear these words for the first time. And he wants to make himself known to you. If you're tired, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, would you give us a desire to abide with you? And as we abide with you, we pray that you would change us from the inside out. Jesus, help us believe that you offer a better way of life. And for those here who have not followed you yet, I pray that they would make the decision today to abide in you. You are waiting for them and you offer them rest and peace and your presence and your power. So God, change us. We need you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name, everybody agreed and said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.